Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 542 on Tuesday, the 12th of September, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be seeing just how badly people misunderstand privacy and security. In new new car news, we see how this really is the century of the SUV. And in points of interest, we look on with bucket loads of irony for one event. But first, into the new news, I teased you there. There is no follow-up for a change. I was completely not, you know, I'm not ready to start because there's normally follow-up, so it completely thrown me. But yeah, uh, we just missed it last week. We didn't really have time to read and understand uh, the figures as they came out about 40 minutes before we recorded. This week, it's time for the August SMMT and new vehicle registration figures. Yeah. August, traditionally a small month. It's worth saying that before I get into percentages, because some of the percentages sound much bigger than they are. August, small month, because of course, 1st of September is the new registration plate day, Mm -hmm. one of the new registration plate days. But compared to last year, the August registrations have risen 24.4%, and that is significant. Uh, And it's significant enough to take it up to almost, but not quite, the 2020 numbers. 2019. Okay, 2019 then. Let's choose 2019. Well, uh, SMMT have said, to remind us, that 2019 registrations were 92,573. That's why I mentioned that. So I was comparing it because that was the closest one on the graph whenever I looked to the the left. Yeah, it is very comparable to 2020. 2020 uh, and a little bit below 2019. So it's, it's... it's the first month that's got close to the before times again. It is, which is good. But again, remember, numbers are much smaller, so a smaller increase in the number of vehicles equals a much larger percentage. Running through the car registrations by fuel you put in your car uh, from Tristan Young, who is an analyst for Broken News UK. Then for August 2023, year to date, petrol still holds 68 Wow, 69% of the market share, battery electric vehicles 16%, diesel 7.8%, and plug-in hybrid 6.82%. Battery electric vehicles two and a bit times uh, more than diesel these days. Yeah. And that includes all the diesel mad hybrids mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What needs to be noted, though, because that's year-to-date, the August market share had Mm -hmm. uh, which is what a lot of people got very excited about battery electric vehicles are actually 20.1 percent of market share for august only and that's the first Mm -hmm. month it's gone over 20 percent yeah because it has been sat at the 16 percent for quite a while yeah 16 to 17 yeah yes that's the kind of only one of those that you could look at and go that one's definitely the 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 figure that that compares across because all the others are slightly skewed by mild hybrids and and hybrid hybrids and all sorts of stuff like that yeah one other thing worth mentioning is that this growth has not come through private sales private registrations now i guess there's a couple of reasons for that one of which is if you're a private buyer you're going to wait until the first of september so you get the new plate Mm -hmm. fleet had an increase of 58.4% over last year. So that's where the big, big gains have come. Obviously, August is a good month for fleets to swap over because they don't care so much about the plate. No. And it's easy to have people sort of drop off their car before they go on holiday and collect a new one when they come back from their holidays. Yep. The swap over and stuff is much, much easier then. Business 
uh, up 39.4%, but that's 500 small or less than 500. Yeah, that's less than 500. That's a very, that's a small, small, you know, that's 1.9% of the market share so far this year, whereas Fleet has made up 60%. Yeah. I think another thing that is affecting private and something that we'll certainly be keeping a very close eye on, and it's not really being talked about much, or it sort of is a bit in the mainstream news, is the mortgage changes. Yeah. Uh, I've seen recently, I mean, there's a listener uh, of the show and their mortgage is going up £450 a month. It's not. That's a courser on the five-year PCP deal that we were talking about a few weeks ago. Yeah. That's the 34 grand courser on the five-year PCP deal. Yeah. The mortgage prices are just going stupid. Well, it's someone uh, that we follow on Twitter, they were saying that they've had to downsize because their mortgage was going to go up a grand. People are going to go, do I want a roof or a new car? And the car industry is going to lose out on that one big time. Uh, yeah. We've noticed that private the last two months has been down. I mean, it's down 8.1% this time, which is a mm-hmm. bigger drop. We'll see whether that is a trend or whether that was just a short blip because it was summer or other things. Yeah, September numbers are going to be interesting in that aspect. But I can see. Because also what's being pushed is the uh, business in kind. Benefit in kind. Uh, yeah. Benefit in kind, sorry. Yes, benefit in kind. I keep saying that wrong. Benefit in kind, but still, someone has to be willing to accept that amount of money coming out of their wages. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's very true. Sorry, do you want to take us to the best sellers? Top 10 of best registered as us. Mm. Uh, he said sellers this time. That yep. makes a change. Number 10, the Audi A3, 1,362. Do not expect big numbers this month. The number nine, the now dead Ford Fiesta. This is this clearing out of the tubes. Uh, one thousand five hundred and thirty-eight. It is fleet. Yeah, totally. Number eight, Volkswagen Truck, one thousand five hundred seventy-two. I mean, there's practically nothing between these. Uh, number seven, the Hyundai Tucson, one thousand five hundred ninety-seven. Number six, the Tesla Model Three, one thousand six hundred and ninety-eight. Number five, Vauxhall Mokka. 1,763. Number four, the Ford Cougar. Uh, 1,779. Number three, the Vauxhall Corsa. Wee! Uh, 1,941. Uh, number two, the Tesla Model Y, 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 2,313. It does seem to be finding buyers, though. I, I don't understand it. It is. I saw a chart for all of Europe, and mm-hmm. the Model Y is the most purchased EV. I just couldn't play residual roulette with it. Well, I just don't. I can't stand the look. But that, well, that's that subjective. Yes. But yes, but it seems say, plenty of people do like the fat dolphin look. Okay, that's all I can come up with. Number one, the Ford Puma, two thousand three hundred and thirty-six. I mean, there's ten models there. There is less than a thousand units between ten and one. The really the, because of the spread of tiny niches. Mm. Actually, the the differences are infinitesimal between all of these. The outcome of that, by the way, is that number the Ford Puma remains the most registered vehicle to date, followed by the Vauxhall Corsa, followed by the Model Y, followed by the Nissan Qashqai, and then the Hyundai Tucson, and then some other stuff after that. Yeah. I think before we go to the spreadsheet of doom, we need to just cover what SMMT have been saying. Yes, absolutely. Ah, that's a good point. There's a new zero emission vehicle mandate that's being introduced on the 1st of January. That's that 22% thing that we keep mentioning every month for battery electric vehicles. Yes, it's due to be introduced on the 1st of January. That is under 120 days away, sadly. I know that makes it Christmas is even sooner. 
There are still no details for manufacturers about that, how it's going to work, what calculations are going to be, anything like that. Anything we say at this point turns into a political statement, so we're not going to say anything. They need to help the industry out. Do you need to tell them what's happening? It's not even helping them out. It's telling them what's happening. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean by helping them out. Give them, give them some information to work with. Yeah, totally. Just some information, full stop. Uh, spreadsheet of doom this month. Not a lot of doom given the general overall growth. No. I'll quickly run through the doom, though. Yeah. Citroen is down at 29%, so that means 1,698 vehicles in 2023 compared to 2,387 in 22. Dacia is down 36%. DS is down 79%, but again, Last year it was 298, this year it's 64. So, I mean, that is quite a drop. DS and Citroen are not doing well right now. No, they're not. Honda, that is down at 23%, but they've got new models about to come out and be launched. Uh, Jaguar is down 43%. What was already bad is now worse. Let's let's just call that one managed decline, shall we? (laughs) Yes. Jeep is down 62%. So, that's 200 last year to 77 this year. But it's not a key market, that's the thing. No, but the... Um, but there's, there's no... Is it the Renegade? The Renegade, I think it is, is about to come out, yes. which gets lots of... I think mean, that got Car of the Year from it somebody. It did, yes. Um, I think it was European Car of the Year. Yeah. Sanyong is down 58%, but that's almost irrelevant now. And then other imports is down uh, 22%. Alan, <laughs> how are you going to pick? <laughs> Most of the rest of them are green. Generally, the very small manufacturers that have gone up, as, as you would expect. To stuff like a bath, three, 328.57%. I mean, that means 30 vehicles in total. That's pretty much the press fleet of 500Es, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Alpine, similar. Audi up 33%. Cupra up 50. Fiat 52. Ford 23. Genesis 23. Kia up 26. Lexus up 135. Maserati up 85. MG 138.6, showing EVs to the private buyer, clinging on there. Uh, da, 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 where was I? Peugeot 34, not all of Stellantis' doom and gloom. No. Uh, Polestar up 593. Congratulations, you get the MG award for ridiculous increases. Yes. Porsche up 146, Renault up 158, uh, Seat up 96. Skoda 46, uh, Subaru 41. Uh, you are still, however, um, yes. <laughs> I was going to do a quick multiplication, but it's a th- over a thousand Porsche registered, 75 Subaru. 156% increase for Suzuki, 325% for Tesla. Uh, Vauxhall up 19, Volkswagen up 17, Volvo up 118.86%. That's everybody rushing to register there. Estate cars. Other British up 25.81. Lots of sort of general improvements. We have to remember last year was really still hit by constraints on supplies. Massively hit by constraints on supplies. Otherwise, yeah, stuff generally stable-ish. Anyways, that's done with all this, all the numbers for the week. Yes, I think so. I'm gonna take us on to Oxford now and good news. Actual genuine good news. And this is that BMW has announced a £600 million investment in the Oxford Mini Factory and their Swindon Body pressing plant, which means that the Cooper 
EV that we were talking about last week in mm-hmm. New New Car News, and the Mini Aceman, which we don't know what that will be yet. It's a Mini Mini, or a Micro, <laughs> or a Nano. will be built in the UK from 2026. The UK government has given some financial support, although we have no idea how much or how little that is. But I think, apart from the great news that there's like around 4,000 jobs secure now uh, to do with this, I think this also could be taken as an indication that something's going to happen on the rules of origin. Mm, are the rules of origin or they believe that there's magically going to be a battery plant to, to appear? But actually, it mentioned here, it says no battery supply has been named for the Oxford-built EVs, but the BMW group already works with Samsung and CATL, the latter of which is building a battery factory in Germany. So that's where they may well be coming from. In case anybody cares, both the Electric Cooper and the Aceman will be built in China for the local market, and they will also be sold here. The Chinese-built ones will also be sold here from the launch in 20. 2024 until the EV production starts in Oxford in 2026. Mm-hmm. If you are sitting there clutching at your pearls and wondering where the Countryman is built, uh, then that is built in Leipzig in Germany, along with the BMW X1, which is the same thing. Yes. Give or take. News. Finally, some good news to say. Yes, which is nice. Hmm. Alan, why don't you take us in and around Cambridge for a little bit of a drive? Well, actually, Cambridge is one of those cities in the UK that I actively try to avoid, uh, along with Oxford. Because it's a really awful place to get to in the first place. It's almost as if it is intentionally hard to get to Cambridge. And then once you're there, it's pretty flipping miserable as well. But apart from that. Apart from that, yes. Uh, apart from that, they were going to introduce a £5 congestion charge to drive in or around the city during peak times. This was discussed at a meeting on Thursday, and the Liberal Democrat councillors declared that they had further concerns about the plan. This meant that, uh, that it was only the Labour aspects of the council Labour councillors who were supporting it, and that wasn't enough for it to happen. No, they did go on to say, because Councillor Mike Davies, the Labour leader of Cambridge City Council, went on to say, there were bits we liked and bits we remained concerned about. Mm -hmm. Asked how dead the plans were, he said they are not going to go ahead. But he's also saying, he says another couple of interesting things, uh, which is that sustainable travel hasn't gone away, something is going to have to happen. By the way, coinciding with this was going to be an increase in the number of bus routes. Well, this was going to fund it. This wasn't was it? going to fund it, but the idea was that that there was a substitute for the car. It wasn't just a you're not driving in here with nothing else happening. Yeah, it's a bit like how Nottingham have enforced their workplace parking levy. Is that money is ring fenced and taken to make other transport modes possible? Yes. Uh, He does say, though, that something is going to have to go ahead because we have a problem with congestion in the city, which is only going to get worse. And that's true. It is is a terrible place. Yep. And a bad place to drive around as well. (laughs) That's the thing about all these these changes that are required. They are going to be significant for us. We we, We can't do what we do now. 
Yes. The important bit, I think, is how they're managed and implemented and the method that's that's taken on that. And wading through the change is bad, ooh, that's awful, compared to, look, I've got a genuine concern to raise, Mm -hmm. must be a bit tricky for them as well. Yes. This one did seem vaguely well managed, which is more than many we've seen. Yeah. With substance. Because it wasn't all the time. It was particular points of the day. As far as these things go, because obviously nobody wants to have to pay more to do, to do anything. Mm. But these these are the realities of life now. This is very true. Anyway, let's move on to the next story, and the GigaHub trademark. Alan had to say that because I'm refusing to say that ridiculously stupid name. He has dug his heels in on on this. I'm not saying it. Anyway, no. do you want to tell everybody what it is, other than a very silly name, trademark? <laughs> yes, BP Pulse and EV Network have unveiled the largest charging hub in the country, and it is actually located at the NEC campus in Birmingham. I don't quite know why they call it campus, but anyway, the NEC. Because campus sounds nicer than wilderness of crappy car parks. <laughs> this will give us the ability to simultaneously charge, according to the SatMap article, 180 EVs via the 16 ultra-rapid 300-kilowatt charge points, Mm -hmm. uh, which there are two designated accessible bays, which is good. Mm -hmm. And they've got a canopy and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And 157-kilowatt charge points, I don't quite understand how that's called fast, but never mind, which they have even more accessible bays designated. This is great because it's not far off the motorway. It's brand new. It's been thought through from the outset to do this as well as they can as in as what alan's saying you know it's like people are no one is excluded it's not just been thrown in because they go oh quick let's just have a charger Mm. that fixes that that ticks that shove it around the the back of the petrol station yeah near the bins yeah because we've 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 had fun with that in the past (laughs) yes there were a couple of questions we still have which isn't covered in this sat map article one of which is, you're right beside the NEC, so do we have to pay to get in and charge? Yes, because the NEC is renowned for being inexpensive to park at. Yes, exactly. And welcoming. It's the other thing yes. about the NEC, it's so welcoming. That is one of the big questions. But other than that, it is very nice to see that it, that it seems to have followed best practice. I think that there's going to be room for more of these, especially around event sites. Yeah, I think that's a great idea of putting them there. The ability, because I mean, the seven kilowatt is the same as as your home charger. You can park up in the morning, go wander around the classic car show or whatever that's on at the NEC or or, or the the Comic Con or whatever, and then come back somehow to your vehicle. I imagine there are shuttle buses on event days, but it's the NEC, so who knows? And then you come back and your your car's fully charged. Yeah, it, I'm sure there's the parking and the entrance issue. Uh, statements is going to be if you're over a certain period of time you have to pay and it'll be more expensive on event days or something like that I'm just reading the minds of the NEC here yeah this is excellent and we need to see more Mm. of them throughout the country dotted throughout the country but also uh, to enable that to happen we need to sort out connectivity to the grid and sort out planning rules permissions and I don't know whether how one can fast track them or something, but it's direct intervention is needed from the government to push these things to move faster. I don't know how you can fast track 
the physical connection to the grid no, no, part. No, that, that, well, that requires lots of investment. It does, yes. Yes, yes. Another so that's one way around it. But overall, good. That, look at that. We've had two positive, three positive articles. Should we have another positive article? Go on, then. Well, this one's from electrive.com, and it says, Affluent London Borough said to double curbside charge points. And it is very tempting to do the whole of this story in a, in a, in a very silly silly voice. But the London Borough of Richmond-upon-Thames will install 525 new electric vehicle charging points. The new installations will more than double the on-street charging network, being the total to 945, up from 420. Uh, the, the article then goes on to observe the fact that there are deer in Richmond Park, just to emphasize the affluence it's it's of the posh. London Borough. It's very posh. Uh, so these are going to be installed by Ubitricity, uh, which is backed uh, by by Siemens. And Shell. And Shell, yes. The charges deliver up to five kilowatts and take less than two hours to install. So what's the big deal then? Get on with it. That will be interesting. Uh, it seems to be essentially expanding the lamppost charge units. Yeah, it's that type of thing. This is kind of like a, so it's like a tree with your lamppost in the middle is the trunk and you've got these little little ones off so you don't have to be parked right at a lamppost it seems seems rather sensible mm. Mm. good excellent yes. more of that jolly nice but then so it seems to underline the uh, the imbalance of charging with well, london and everywhere else uh yes yes this is true so let's move on to the next story and talk about liverpool andrew they have announced that the flagship hydrogen buses that were 20 buses, hydrogen buses, have not been running lately because they have been struggling to find hydrogen supplier. Yes. Now, this is a bit interesting because Stanlow is just over the water and wasn't talked about as this wonderful place it was going to make hydrogen. Mm-hmm. Now, and some of that hydrogen is going to power Vauxhall's Ellesmere port plant. Yes. Which is the key part of their we will be net zero by 20, whatever it was. I can't remember what the year was. Mm. But that all seemed to be brought in because there was going to be the village in the world that was going to be run on hydrogen until all the residents went, no. No, we're not. I don't know whether this is a connection with that or they've just had problems anyway. Yeah. Interestingly, they also talk about not only we're going to find a new supplier, but a green one. Mm. Sorry, it says, as well as a potential pathway to use 100% green hydrogen. So that just says they were using grey hydrogen. Yeah, and this Hydrogen Insight article, uh, yeah, it basically says, it implies up until now they've been running on grey hydrogen, which is leftover fossil, which comes from leftover fossil fuel gas. So we can all remember our different, the the hydrogen rainbow, everyone. (laughs) If that's grey, what's what's blue again? Because you get grey hydrogen, some, blue. some, yeah, some, and then you get green hydrogen, which is made which fully is from renewable. But no matter what colour it is, it's still a clear, colourless gas that burns with a squeaky pop, according to my GCSE chemistry teacher. Which some things just you don't forget. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they do actually find a supplier, whether they can run it, and whether they go along the lines of moving to being electric only, similar to how the French city of Montpellier mm. has decided that they are going to bin their 
51 hydrogen buses and go electric only because they've established, having run them for two years now, mm-hmm. established that it's actually cheaper to run an electric bus. Yes. At the moment, six times cheaper to run an electric bus than a hydrogen one. Yes. That's quite significant, as well as the buses being 150 to 200,000 euros more expensive. Yeah. Not looking great for hydrogen right at this second. No. But these are uses where EV electric makes sense because, again, I've said this, I think I say this about every two weeks, your depot running, your fixed route, you know the distances. It's still an EV use case uh, as long yeah. as you can charge the EVs. That's the thing about the hydrogen, though, is, of course, the turnaround time is five to 10 minutes, not five to 10 hours. But the other thing is, these projects are there to establish these yeah. as facts. Mm-hmm. And they are establishing the facts now. So instead of an Twitter account screaming to say, oh, it's crazy to use hydrogen or yeah. it's crazy to use electric, we can use actual facts to come to a proper conclusion. The other thing I would say, by the way, is that both of these are significantly cheaper to install and run than a tram system, which is wonderfully wasteful trams. I mean, they're cool, but the only reason they get the go-ahead is because they're cool, not because they make any financial sense whatsoever. Trolley buses are a much, much better solution. Amonevi. Which, mm. uh, trolley buses, even, I mean, sure, there's wastage from the, the online the, the wires, but you don't even need massive batteries in the buses. You only need batteries in case of emergencies and stuff, or hybrid trolley batteries. Solution. So anyway, well, well, enough of that, Alan. Would you like to um, take the article before I take my run-up? Okay, uh, Ledger Fury uh, warning here for people. It's an article out. Uh, this one's in the, the, the Verge, but it's talking about a new study from the Mozilla Foundation. Now, you might have heard of the Mozilla Foundation mostly because they make the Firefox browser which means that you can't see autocar slideshows, according to my experience each week. Um, but it's, uh, they, make, they make that, but they also do quite a lot of uh, security research on things about Firefox. It's, it's, it's sort of, it can, you can be less tracky than just about any other mainstream browser. Don't come telling me about Opera, etc. They have been sort of branching out a little bit about just to see where privacy leaks come from, where information is captured, because it's all, connected into the same thing. As the Internet of Things uh, expands and increases, then obviously it's all interconnected. So if you're talking about security in one part of the Internet, really that has a knock-on effect across other parts. I don't see Andrew shaking his head and glaring at me, so we're good so far. One of the things that this article points out is is that cars are the official worst category of products or privacy that they've tested that they've so tested far. so far and they have done a lot yes uh, and one of the key reasons for this isn't just because they collect lots and lots of stuff but because they don't tell you they're collecting lots and lots of stuff and they don't let you turn off the collection of lots and lots of stuff you've got no control over that data and 84 percent of the vehicles that they looked at the manufacturers they looked at are sharing user data with outside parties all 25 of the brands that were researched for the report failed to meet the non-profit organization's minimum privacy standards. There is a link through. So we're going to link to the Verge article. We'll probably link to the sub-articles. Yes, I've got the yes. uh, privacy not included article that talks through in more depth than the Verge one. 
there will also be a direct link to each of the car brands mm-hmm. listed on the privacy not included site, which you click on and it gives you the individual report of that manufacturer. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff here. There will also be another privacy not included article talking about really one of the biggest problems, which is the inference mm. and what after they went through all this, they're really, really worried about. Yes. Yeah, and that's the inference part is quite it's particularly insidious. It's particular, yes, it's particularly bad. It really is. Just be aware of that. And for any of you, I'm trying to beat Andrew to it by being more moderate than the Ledger Fury that he would give otherwise. By the way, just be aware whenever you go, I've got a phone in my pocket, because that's the kind of <sighs> witty and uninformed repost that people give to this kind of thing. With the phone, you can turn it off. Mm. you can slim down you can choose not to have an app you can lock right down your security settings it might mean that some things don't necessarily work for you but you have some control over it cars just don't give you that no they really don't give you that and if they do it is buried so far down in the bowels of any kind of setting that your 99.9 percent of users will never go near not just that by the way if there's a gap in it and there's an error in it. Most people will never ever look at updating the inf- updating the firmware in their car to try to solve that. And then you can start giving me the witter about over the air updates. And sure, but does it tell you? How do you know what's in it? What settings does it reset? Are you paying a constant game of splat the rat like you do with some of the social media sites? Every time they introduce a new feature. The new feature involves some new form of collecting data or sharing data about you, and you have to go in and try and find the appropriate setting and turn the darn thing off without it making the, the platform completely unusable, which, by the way, isn't always possible. Mm. Have I done the Ledger Fury for you, Andrew, but with just a little bit less fury? Oh, goodness, no, he's shaking his head. No, there's more, because in some of the replies I saw to this, there was clearly a lack of education and a lack of understanding. One of the ones was obviously the You've got a phone in your pocket, which is just so asinine, it's ridiculous. Another one was discussing and saying, well, if I use Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, the car manufacturers don't get that data. That is technically correct. However, you are choosing to ignore how many sensors there are in a car, what other data car manufacturers are taking, and the level of ability to get access to you is frankly astonishing and you need to read these articles to see what they can do it is not to say they all do do this but the wording in their t's and c's and their and their policies imply that they can do it so therefore if they can do it there's a really good chance they will do it mm-hmm. and then we get on to things like well so just for sensors side of things there's plenty of them that do connect their microphones and cameras to the internet. Mm -hmm. So if you do that, someone is taking that data and doing something with it. That's not good. And I know that security forces can get access to that and listen in on you, because I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. Listen in on the conversations you're having in your car. So that's not tinfoil hatty. I've watched it being done. The final thing is the inferences. And this is the really, 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 really bad stuff. 
If you don't know about data brokers, again, go up and look this up a bit because this is the information that is being sold onto data brokers and the car companies are buying from data brokers Mm -hmm. that we have had taken from us or we have given access to, depending on how much openness uh, an app or service has been about this. And they compile it into a digital version, a digital persona of Mm -hmm. us. And from that, they make inferences on us. There's things like Nissan say they collect information about one's sexual activity and intelligence. How they do that is not clear because they don't make that clear. And if you've ever seen the drivers of Nissan over here in the US, you'll understand why that's an issue. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because, but, but they claim that they're doing this for marketing and promotional partners. Yeah. Uh, or working with marketing and promotional partners, and it's for direct marketing purposes. Why? Why do you need that? You don't need that. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's just one manufacturer. And again, a, a fair amount of this research is US-centered. In the UK and Europe, we are better protected, not protected fully, but we are better protected because of GDPR. No idea how much better, by the way. I, I pay 20-something dollars a month. This is how ridiculous it is. This is so American. I pay $29 a month for a service that removes my information from data brokers. That's just insane. Because you just can't avoid it. I mean, I the amount of Capital One. Here we go. Let's name some names. Capital One. Sometimes in the one day I will get, and now I have never banked or dealt with Capital One in any knowledgeable manner. I will get two credit card offers in the same day from the same bank from Capital One. AAA, life and health insurance. I kind of know how they've got my details because I've got a membership, but just just clear off. It's quite shocking, actually, over here whenever you start doing some of the, the, the research into this stuff. But yeah, the data brokers are a big, big issue. Much bigger issue over here than in Europe doesn't mean the issue doesn't exist in Europe. No, because it's very easy for a company to just take that data and whisk it away abroad without, exactly. you know, by breaking the law. Because yes. it's not like we haven't seen examples of car manufacturers breaking laws now, is it? No. In, oh, ever. <laughs> but without me going on much longer and boring you all to tears and possibly getting so angry I have to edit myself a lot. We are going to have to tie it up because people are going to have easily finished their run by the end of the first part this week. But please do read the articles so you understand what is going on Mm -hmm. and how wrong it is and why I get so uppity and shouty when anything like this comes up. It's true. I can't even argue with him. I want to make fun of him, but I can't. That's how bad this is. Anyway, on a happier note, it's Guilt Minute. A quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the Motric Podcast worth small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very, very much, as I say every week, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Mm-hmm. Very, very much appreciated. Right, new new car news. I'm going to start off 
the big one, literally and figuratively. The Toyota Century is now going to be available as an SUV. Mate, who cares? Don't happen. do the whole Aris an SUV thing. No, I know, that's, but that's I'm, as irritating I am as you disappointed think. in that one. I know everybody goes to it. I know it's very profit-making and therefore vital for car manufacturers. And I've excused many, many, you know, particularly sports manufacturers and all the rest of it. It's just, I just feel a little let down that this one is. Surely they've got enough in the rest of the range. You would think so, but it's not branded as a Century. And of course, this one here, instead of having a V12 engine, has a three and a half litre V6 plug-in hybrid. And it is smaller and more compact. It has a much smaller footprint than the saloon version as well. So that's got to all be good news, hasn't it? Yes. Good. Uh, the, it is, however, 30 centimetres tall. Uh, it doesn't have a huge amount of boot space, but that's because it has essentially two, or it can be spec with two reclining rear seats and a massive centre console with screens and tables and controls and all sorts of nice things. It is for chauffeurs, isn't it? It is for chauffeurs. Really? It is. You don't buy this to drive it. You buy it so someone else can drive it. Or you buy it so you can drive other people. It's kind of... I, th- I think I prefer the saloon. I think the saloon's cooler. Let's be let's be honest. The design's a bit bland. That's the thing. They've always been like that, though. That's it's the idea no, is that it's meant to merge it. You don't, by the way, have to have the two tone, and they do look better in the non two tone ones. And you can probably spec smaller wheels if you wanted. What puzzled me because we saw the whole thing about okay, so it's got the hybrid power plant, and it's got this and that, and and then you come to the point where you can spec it with with sliding side doors. Mm. As well. And that, of course, was spotted by the Autopian. And they say, is this a van? Is it the world's fanciest minivan? And I was kind of wondering how much of the platform was shared with the Lexus, whatever it's called, luxury van thing that we talked about the other week. Yeah, that we like the look of. I was wondering if this was like the next logical progression of luxuriness of actually a minivan disguised as an SUV. And I think that that's actually exactly what it is. Yeah, no, this guy is a good, clever, mm. clever take on it. Yes. Uh, the Autopian article, by the way, is, is well worth a read as well. Yeah. Link in the show notes as ever. Do you want to take us to Lotus then? Um, okay. I just stole on your story. Uh, the <laughs> Yes, Lotus have unveiled an electric saloon car, their first saloon badge car since the Carlton. This one has uh, no Vauxhall links at all, is badged purely as a Lotus, and it's been revealed with a mere 905 brake horsepower, because that's what everybody needs. And the idea is that it, it's a rival to the Taycan and some of the upper models of the Tesla Model S. It's called the, the EMEA, I can't remember if I said that or not. Dual motor powertrain, 905 brake horsepower, 726 pound-feet, uh, obviously through all four wheels. That gives a 0-62 time of somewhere around 2.8 seconds, which is about the same as a Taycan Turbo S, blah, blah, blah. Uh, 102 kilowatt hour battery pack, uh, which gives an undisclosed range, but it's supposed to be similar to the Electra SUV, which is 373 miles in entry-level guys and 304 miles for the high-powered ones. You can charge it up to 350 kilowatts an hour for 10 to 80% in as little as 15 minutes. Uh, so that'd be pandy if you're making a very quick uh, splash and dash at the uh, near the NEC. All sorts of stuff. 
air suspension, scans around a thousand times a second. Basically, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff. And big numbers where you need big numbers and little numbers where you want little numbers. And that's kind of it, really. Oh, oh, prices. The entry level, 603 horsepower. And S cars priced around a hundred thousand pounds. The nine hundred and five brake horsepower headline making are around a hundred and twenty thousand pounds. I mean, I'm happy it's a saloon. It's a bit, yeah. It's a bit MG-ish. I don't know. Possibly one might argue yeah, MG I'm does not, it better, but I'm not I'm not convinced by the design. But you know, that's well, that's you know, it's the way it is. Personal opinion. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'll drive beautifully. But yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay, move on. Yeah. Well, it, this could almost have been follow-up, but in our outrage at VW ditching Seat... It wasn't outrage, week, it was disappointment. Well, angry disappointment okay. in the way they've treated Seat. We miss the fact that the ID brand is going, or naming, is going to be ditched as well. That doesn't surprise <sighs> me. I mean, the ID badging is like, it's a sign of disappointment, isn't it? It's a bit like Volkswagen's Edsel nowadays. It was just so poorly done, disappointingly done, <laughs> that, that I think it's just like, oh yeah, it's an ID, whatever. Who cares? Give it a proper name. Well, I didn't care about the naming because everybody I wasn't bothered, but it did new naming and it came out as silly. I think the, the, the problem, well, you're sort of hinting at the same issue Vauxhall have got in the way they're naming things. Is there is you're saying there's now a legacy of hmm. of opinion, yeah, that is built around the ID naming, like the Vauxhall have had with their past products. So here was an opportunity for Vauxhall to change names. Yeah, I, I've said this to Vauxhall. An idea of uh, and Vauxhall, Volkswagen have blown their name, new chance to name things. So it's easier to change it now. That's the thing. It's easier to change it when people still don't really know what it means. When there's only two or three models using that convention, why not just give stuff a proper name? But, but they've got to do much more than that. Oh, they've yeah. got to actually have interesting design well, that's true, but and a good product. But changing a name is much easier. So uh, let's yeah. do that first. Uh, it, it has to go hand in and hand. make it look like we're doing things. Yes, it has to go hand. Let's rebrand. Uh, it has to go hand in hand with, with better product. I, yeah. I've said even directly to Vauxhall, when I've been asked about these things, because believe it or not, that kind of stuff happens. And I said the biggest problem Vauxhall has is that everybody has a preformed opinion of a Corsa, of a Mocha, of all these other things. And really the best thing they could do is change their ruddy names. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, staying with Volkswagen for a second, Volkswagen has announced a new rebate uh, for London following the ULES. So they're offering up to £4,500 to people affected by the expansion of the ULES across London. It ranges from uh, £1,750 up to that £4,500 headline figure, depending on the model. And it's an alternative to current offers from the brand. So it might not be the best thing. You might be better off looking carefully and seeing if there is a better PCP deal deposit contribution or whatever, uh, whatever they're calling it this week uh, instead of of that so it is it is instead of it's not in addition to existing Volkswagen offers any dealer should be able to provide it to you but you will have to show proof that you live within the 32 London boroughs that qualify for the scrappage scheme although it's not necessarily a scrappage scheme here 
Right, I'm going to move us on to points of interest because I waffled so much in the first part and this show will be running very long. Mm-hmm. Mm, start with a lunchtime watch. And this is from Ronald Finger and is titled Fixing the 280Z That's Been Dead for 21 Years. Now I say Z because he is American. He is. Uh, but you'll know him because he was the guy who restored the Pontiac Fiero and the motorbike as uh, well and all this stuff. This he's actually had longer than the Fiero, I think. This is an interesting video because it shows just how little you have to do to make a car legal in Texas uh, if it's been sitting for 21 years. Freedom safety. It is freedom safety. But uh, uh, as always, watching his stuff is just good because he's a great storyteller. It's a good watch. And, and do subscribe to his stuff because they are rather excellent. Also from America comes the list of the week. And this week, with not a small amount of... Well, no, not really giggling, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, a bit, actually. Well, considering they got the police to charge and break through a protest by climate activists to enter the site and then got hit by torrential rain. We're talking about Burning Man, which is more soggy man uh, this year. Too wet to light man. Too wet to light man, yeah. Uh, And the list is called, These are the most screwed cars at Burning Man. Uh, People at Burning Man quickly realized their vehicles may not be up to the task. Uh, The it's hard to feel too sympathetic for California-based millionaire tech millionaires, isn't it? Mm. Uh, so there are many here. The one that is the saddest of the lot, but must have taken an awful lot of work for me, mm. is the white Jeep Wrangler that is up to above its wheels How? in mud. It's so bad. They've got two different pictures of it, and I, I can't understand how someone has done that unless they were chemically enhanced and thought somehow they would be okay. Yes, it's it's not the greatest move ever. I mean, they do seem to have fallen into a particularly wet bit and then just kept on going and kept on going and kept on going. That's going to be very difficult to get out, and it may never run again if they've got mm. mud into the alternator and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so yes, that one was quite bad. But there's, there's quite a few. Uh, obviously, if people who waited until they were allowed to leave when the, the roads were dry, sure, they had to sit in the queue for hours and hours and hours, but they didn't have uh, half of these these challenges. Obviously, the richest of the attendees uh, got uh, private helicopters to come in and rescue them, because that's what you do. Yes. I do just... It shrieks of something out of Silicon Valley, as far as I'm concerned. But Silicon Valley these days is, is has become more and more of a, a documentary rather than a satirical yeah. show. I think some of them have taken it as an instruction manual. Oh, you'd think so, don't you? Anyway, and finally this week, more Porsche news. Yes, Porsche have failed to get a European trademark for their electric car sound. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Porsche were trying to say that the particular tone they were trying to to register was enough to to evoke recognition of a Porsche. Yes, and they wanted it. They thought it was so good that it was comparable to the opening bars of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Yes, they failed to persuade the people who who hand out the European trademarks. I think it possibly, I should have known this, but it's EU IPO uh, Intellectual Property Office. What must have stung most of all, though, is that a few years ago, BMW succeeded in doing this. Yeah, well, the EU Intellectual Property Office 
not only did they say that it did not meet the criteria for a trademark, they stated that, and I'm quoting here from the Energy Portal website, that the sound was not distinctive enough and could be applied to a variety of vehicles or their replicas. End of quote. Yes. Uh, the Telegraph article about the same says that Porsche did not respond to a request for comment. There we go. You've got to really try hard. Feels along the lines of the Lotus and the Wedge. Does a bit, doesn't it? Any parish notes this week? Uh, yes, thank you to those of you who popped in to listen to us prattling on through the Goodwood revival at uh, the weekend. It was fun to do. We have learned stuff. We'll do it again mm-hmm. sometime. When something suitable comes along, we will certainly look at uh, doing it. That's the thing, because we don't cover racing. No. It's so we, we wouldn't like do like, I mean, if, we could have done back in the day when we did Formula E. We could have done, but we didn't. But we did. Obviously, don't do that anymore. We just need something suitable of which there is a show live that we can all watch along mm. together, and that. But that makes it trickier if it is not racing. Yeah. Yes, and yes, and no. I think we've got some other ideas. We just need to make sure the timings align and stuff. Yeah. Because time zones are our enemy these days. That and just time in general. Yes, that's our that's our true enemy. Yes. <laughs> But anyway, speaking of time, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Mastodon or Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Any of the mature social media sites uh, where I'm at, AJP Bradley, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. As I said, we'll be back soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.